The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, on this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour, we welcome a crooner carrying on the classic tradition of singing the great American songbook. Cynthia Bassanet is most known as a singer, recording artist, and a concert performer. She's interpreted some of the great classics in American music. Cynthia Bassanet has worked as an actress, a model, and is known for her humanitarian work. I'm honored to welcome this great vocalist. Cynthia, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to join you as well, Paul. So where are you in the world right now? I'm in East Nashville. Okay. Music City. Music City <laughs> and we had a bit of um a bit of a disruption and now we're on hiatus. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Do you like living in Nashville? I love it. I love it. It took uh twenty two years from when RCA suggested the notion to actually get to move here. So I've really appreciated getting to come here, the spirit of the people here. And um, I hope I can help being here. Lovely. Well, as I said at the introduction, you're most known as a singer. What is it you like about singing? What is it you like about the art of music? Well, actually, I used to not really talk and on the sets they call me jingle bride because my attention span was so short I would just sing jingles all the time instead of really talking and I grew up on playing the flute and the sax and would spend hours improvising on both of those and the vocals is just kind of an extension of that and it just started very young being a songbird I don't know just to to the to the detriment of my parents. <laughs> but yeah, I was singing opera at a very, very young age and was put under the tutelage of somebody and off I went. Yeah. I never really thought about I I never I just always sang. It's like freedom. <laughs> hmm. To like freedom. It's ultimate freedom. I don't I don't even care if somebody doesn't have a good voice. If you're truly singing, you're truly expressing yourself, you're breathing, you're dancing, you're emoting, even if you're the worst singer in the world, it's such a great release and uh balance, it brings people joy, it eliminates pain. I just think that my parents wanted me to grow up and own a restaurant and be like Alice Waters. And instead, and I cooked from a very young age. My dad bought me a French cookbook because he wanted onion soup. So, <laughs> you know, when I get in trouble, I bake my dad these big desserts from that yellow cookbook. And then he moved me on to French cooking. And then from a very young age, I just cooked all the time and sang, obviously. So while I was cooking, so my parents thought, oh, great, she's going to open a restaurant. <laughs> and much to their chagrin, I <laughs> said, well, I'm going to put my music out there like I'm feeding the souls, but in a different way. And that's how I've looked at it. 
I still would like to uh, open restaurants, but I look at it like feeding the soul. Every song I I pick, it's uh, communication completely. I'm, yeah, I choose. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, it's early. No, no, you're 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 saying a lot of good things here. You said much to your parents' chagrin. So were they maybe scrutinizing or or skeptical of? of a career in music? I wish it could be that. My father loved jazz. I was raised on it. Uh, My fondest memories are my dad smoking a cigar in his wing chair and reading the paper and it's a foggy Bay Area day and hearing jazz. I mean, it's just brilliant. Billy Hall, all the artists. And he would tell me lots of stories behind all the artists. So... It was a big disappointment because I was raised on music and for that first year I was raised with music in the schools and obviously I'm a huge proponent of that. So yeah, it's a little disappointing that my parents drugged me instead, but I think the reality was that they had three children. My oldest brother is mentally challenged and having me running around the house singing wasn't really the best for my mom. So that was kind of something that uh, went on the back shelf until I got a lot older and uh, was able to do it. And then it was interrupted. I I was, whatever, <laughs> I was married, had a child, went to Paris, just a child. And I had to kind of put music on the background, even though I lived with the producer that produced that song my way, the French artist that co-wrote it so it's always been around me it's just a matter that I think I share with a lot of single moms that the things that are your dreams and that you know are your truth sometimes because you know it's your truth you can put it on the side burner and do what's right for your children or your family or whatever is presented you know whether you're a caretaker or whatnot you don't always get the option to follow your dream at that moment but I think if you do everything you do along the way, dream, dr- dreaming and to your fullest joy, then you'll always be on the right path of where you're supposed to be. So I think that's something we miss out on with all the marketed celeb culture at the moment for the last 20 years. Hmm. <laughs> so that's my rant. That's my rant. <laughs> So no, it wasn't in, it wasn't encouraged. That's the short answer. <laughs> I think you know my mother had a lot of fear of any visibility on the family because from a very young age people were like, oh, she's going to be on Broadway. So it, it it was something that was shunned upon, standing out definitely. So it, it you know, and it was a different era. It was more the Kennedy era where you helped other people. So it was never an, it was never a, the music was always thought as a present and as a way of joining everyone, you know, like the Coke commercial, hmm. I could teach the whole world to sing in perfect harmony. You know, I'm a hippie dippy from the Valley. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the music is. So I have different genres actually. And, and I do lots of different things. So well, speaking of different genres, you are mostly known for the 
the classics from the American songbook, the, the jazz standards that you do. But I'm curious, being that you live in Nashville, what do you think about country music? Well, it's interesting because my dad did shift later in life from jazz to country, which I thought was a great signal. And and I know with pride when I sang Sweet Dreams was a tribute to my dad. I've always had country influence. Like I said, RCA had had made the old... <laughs> I'm saying I am RCA. Anyway, they had also heard it in my voice from my Britpop music and hearing me sing live and had kind of put me in that direction. And every time I sang, people would request a Patsy Cline. And when I would talk about my life, people would say, oh my God, you should be singing country music. So then that really, you know, and it's such great storytelling that, and the dip songs and all the, the backstories that go with it, the struggle, it, there's a lot of similarities with that in jazz and in expressing from the root of yourself and your truth and the skill set that was available and what you're also hearing and reinterpreting. All those things are so magical. Like I really love Appalachian music. I used to play. And then I love old Kate. I mean, I just love country music and it was time to make a move and here I am, and yes, I've recorded here, and I'm grateful that I got to before the tornado went through the studio, <laughs> mm. went through the living room of Germantown, hmm. so I think we're all recuperating. I am unscathed, but everyone around me, so we're trying to reach out and help other people that are displaced. So I'm glad I, I got a nice song out of the way. And right now I'm working on publishing something and that I've been working on for a while. So I feel like coming here to the volunteer state and the fact that so many civil rights movements have come out of here, I was almost called to come here with the background in politics and humanitarian work, I guess, perhaps. That's kind of what's the point of the music anyway. Mm. That's the long of it. And the people are really kind here, and it's very straightforward, and it's been very calming on my nerves mm. <laughs> up until the tornado, but even the tornado just went right by. Certainly sorry to hear about that. Yeah, more for the town because everything was humming along so beautifully. Really, really nice. It's just, you know, a lot of people can get back up again and I've had to move many, many times and lose everything. I, It's the people that don't quite get caught up in the fold that we have to look out for. And it's times like this that that's the most important thing to remember. You know, I'm I'm okay. Luckily, I it's a year I've been here, so I was just reflecting on getting to amortize my furniture and everything for another year. <laughs> and then the tornado hit, and I'm just grateful I didn't lose anything and that I can help people that did. So don't send me back to Hollywood, please. <laughs> <laughs> I would ask you why. 
What what about Hollywood makes you think no 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 no? Well, uh, well, my son and grandson are there, so in that aspect, and that I'm I'm obviously from, born in the valley, raised in the Bay Area, but L.A. is my home. But it's not. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's just changed so much. I was in it in a time where the the the, the studios really ruled the ethics of Hollywood, and I'm I'm not. I'm not giving them a pass. I'm just saying that it was a group effort. So when they needed to film, say, a choreo- you know, choreographed scene, they'd borrow a director from another set. Or in my time, if you were on a commercial audition and a girl forgot a skirt, you didn't think twice of loaning her your skirt. And there was just a general kind of like help. And we were all in this together. And then it shifted. We had a commercial strike. Then we had a writer's strike. And it opened the door for a different side of Hollywood, a different type of Hollywood. And with that, a different type of music industry, a different type of modeling industry, a different branding. So all the things that I was working on have kind of shaped Hollywood and, and not in a good way. And that's the that's the down part of having gone online and gone around Hollywood and yeah, I, I'm disappointed when just because you're given power, I'm disappointed to see that the use of it has produced what we're going through now. Hmm. Does that explain it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You touched a little bit on, on some of the music that you were hearing around the house. I think you said Billie Holiday. Yes. Yeah. What was the music that you heard that you would say had the biggest influence on you? That I sang or that I listened to? Really anything that that made an impact on you. Okay, well, I loved Ella Fitzgerald. I loved Billie Holiday. I could completely visualize their lives, the stories as I grew older. Diana Washington, as I got a lot older, Julie London, but fed in there was Patti LaBelle, Tina Marie, Whitney Houston. (laughs) And then the 70s kind of like, the fact that we had Muzak and it kind of calmed the dentist office, all of this really intrigued me because I come from Silicon Valley and I was a, a programmer, a coder at a very young age. So I always looked at music and what's influencing me and the future in a code. So, yeah, I, and then I was a model for a while in Europe, so I didn't really pay attention to a certain style of music. And then when I came back to America and started getting back into music, there was a station called KCRW out of Santa Monica Community College. And they play such great genres. I think we know by now they program a lot of uh, TV shows we've liked, like Six Feet Under, I think Little Miss Sunshine, indie movies. They used to play a lot of indie bands and a lot of English bands, but then they'd intertwine it with a great classic, Johnny Cash or something, or a great bossa nova. And then they had different, they have different DJs on the weekend. And that really opened my song vocabulary. (laughs) But I don't know why I've 
the standards were reintroduced to me. I think we all know. And then they're just the perfect dialogue for that moment. And that's the only, I'm pretty limited on how I can express myself. So that goes into the songs. Can you tell us about your first public performance of music? You mean like all the way back in high school? Yeah, just the first time where you you were on stage performing. Yeah, I think, uh, well, obviously growing up playing in band, that's a group effort. But on my own, I do remember that we had a talent show. And I do remember my mother's hesitancy when I invited her to come. And I do remember singing a Carol King song. And it, I think like a James Taylor, it was that era. And I felt like the audience so warm that I opened my eyes and everybody was smiling. And it wasn't a bad thing. Like it had been conditioned in my brain that, you know, my mom had forecasted that it was gave everybody so much pleasure. And that's what impacted me. That's why it's been difficult to be a limited performer and to just put my songs out online because it is nice to see people. I've sang in clubs and seen people fall in love, like right in front of you. And I just think, wow, wow. I think somebody put all those notes together and all those lyrics together. And I'm standing in a moment that it can just come out of me. And, and I, I don't know, I don't know what else other than make bacon and cooking like I do. I can't think of what else more I can contribute. I was listening to a lot of the songs that you've recorded, and a lot of them are my favorite songs. You did a great job on Paper Moon, I thought. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And then Cry Me a River, such a great song. Yeah. Yeah, I was so intrigued when you interviewed the the writer. I can't believe it. I mean, shouts out. I just, I get so stuck on Santa Baby because obviously Philip Springer's still alive. And so much has been made ado about that song and what I wear and that whole, and then it getting diverted to Maryland. It's taken on such a life force and the millions of artists that have sung it as me being Maryland, being them, being something, I don't know. And my original was obviously as a tribute to uh, Eartha Kitt and as a, as a gift. So, you know, moving along from that, it's interesting to see what songs would come forth. And Cry Me a River was so special. And to know that the writer's still alive, and I certainly hope I put some pennies in his pocket. and that he's doing well because uh, Crimea River was a very big, like Lee Musiker said, when the student is ready, the the teacher appears. I, I'm paraphrasing it. But when we recorded that song, my heart was so huge at the end of it. I just, how it all came together, um, how I found the studio, how they got him, how it, came together. I flew in from Indianapolis as my ex had a transplant that he was recovering from. So I went in the morning, recorded the song and, and flew back to Indianapolis with a song under my arm. 
and that was Crimea River. And that was the first of three songs I did with Lee Musiker. I like to do sets of three. And uh, let's see, what's the other one I did? Oh, the Christmas song. Yeah, that's another good one. His arrangements were just fabulous. So when you're complimenting me, it's not really me. It's his talents and all the artists that he got. And it was recorded in a fabulous studio above Steinway. I sound like all those old people that give you all these extra details you don't want to know. But it's torn down, and that's why I'm mentioning it. And um, Nola Studios, and, and now the owner has passed away as well. And it was just a magical time because all the greats recorded there, and and they just put me under their arm. And the next thing you know, I have a song that you're complimenting and, and that you found me and, and that it's influenced other versions. And I wish all the musicians that played on it knew it and Union. And it just it, it's such a beautiful how it ends. And I, I don't really think about it's me when I hear a song. <laughs> anyway. So I'm glad you like it. Oh, I'm glad you recorded it. (laughs) I'd like to know about why you think that some of these songs from, you know, some of these songs are are really, they're decades and decades old, but they've been interpreted again and again by different singers. Why do you think that these songs that we call the American Standards, why do you think they have endured because uh, they're standards for a reason. <laughs> I mean, one, the best people sang them. Like, I love reading sheet music. And then somebody said to me, yeah, but you realize that's not the original sheet music. That's how somebody heard an artist singing it quickly writes down the sheet music. So there was actually sheet music that that artist sang to. And uh, Sarah Vaughn or whoever, Patsy Klein, they, you know, there's something that somebody looked at and interpreted through their breathing. And so when you come along and you sing a Frank Sinatra, you're really echoing his intellectual property, his way of seeing life. And when he sings these songs like the ballpark next year, and when he went through that seventies kind of age of Aquarius era, like even when an artist voice isn't that strong, they're telling this story And that's what stays the same. It's like my son says to me, Mom, you know they do make movies in color now. And I think, well, yeah, but the black and white ones, the dialogue that's there, the morals, the the messaging, it's been been truncated in a Twitter modern, and I'm the queen of the Internet, so I can't get mad, but... You know, in a truncated world, I think that's why standards, the breath it takes, the story, where it brings you back to, because most of these you've grown up hearing, and the artist, as I said, who sang it, and their memories behind it, and the memory, like a lot of them, are singing the artist that they heard. You know, Elvis isn't singing a song on his own. He heard someone else sing it. And... Perhaps even that person heard somebody else sing it. Like there's a lot of Indian, American Indian influence in in our native music. To, you know, it passes on. So I think that's why standards, and I think the the ethic that occurred in Tin Pan Alley when a lot of these were written. There's a, a rhythm to them. There's an expectation, and it gives you discipline. 
So you're getting to express emotion, love typically, and discipline all in one. And those are really important lessons that don't really, aren't really achieved in, say, music that's pumped from a factory. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say has been the biggest compliment you've gotten? The biggest compliment I've gotten? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, it could be. Well, gosh, that was nice to have you reach out and uh, and contact me. I know this is quite obscure, but I sang for the Sahrawian refugees, and like that at the time, I don't really leave my house, and I certainly don't perform live even then. And when I got there, in front of all the delegates and everybody there. Kennedy staff and the um, Swedish consulate, all of the world, you know, all the people there to help. I sang, I think it was someone to watch over me. Okay, so there's this warm wind and all the refugees are sitting there because they record and then they play it over the, uh, the um, you know, kind of in that MASH series, those uh, big oh, gosh, speakers, hello, those speakers, they, they broadcast it at night like a lullaby and the camp kind of go, the camps go to sleep with, I mean, that's my interpretation to this kind of, um, songs that were recorded. So I sang someone to watch over me. I hit the bridge where the voice just goes, there's a someone on, and I hits a note that I realized wasn't in there. Like, I don't want to say I don't know, not depth of field because that's visual, but all of a sudden, all the women's voices chimed in and warbled back to me in an echo. And it was such a huge compliment, like this wave that got created back and forth when I, I don't really get that experience. So that was very overwhelming. Uh, let's see, having my song go in... Um, NCIS LA, that was a pretty big compliment. Going in Party Monster, Santa Baby, that was a big compliment. When people tell me my son's a prince, I think that's a compliment. I think my grandson is a great compliment. I don't know. I I think when I bake something nice and everyone's happy, that's a pretty big compliment. I'm I'm just grateful for those nuggets, you know, that carry you through the other 360 days out of the year. Would you say that there is a song in particular that it's your song, your signature song, or a song that if you had one song that you could present yourself with, that would be it? Oh, gosh. Well... It's interesting because I'm so identified with Santa Baby, but I, like I said, I don't, I kind of record them and then they're like released like birds out into the universe and then somebody else re-records it and off they go and it's never like mentioned or heard from again. So it's, I don't really visit my songs. I'm, I'm at a loss. I like the new one I'm working on. It's, Gosh, what song would I like to, you know, I'm going to hang up and know which one it is after I hang up, but I feel like the one that I'm going to be known for hasn't been sung yet. Uh Aha. And 
this song that you're that you you've you've referenced a couple of times is this a a song is it a a song from the past is it a standard or is it a song that has been written recently yeah it i was actually looking for a particular song when i got here and i wanted a song that would make a truck driver cry and kind of of a summer's ends romance and just very kind of like that Glenn Campbelly era, very simple. And I think that's what we've achieved. It's taken on many different nuances. And uh, Zach Mann wrote it. Matt Chumley's uh, engineer and doing the work, Germantown. I recorded it in the living room and bare feet on hardwood floors. So I feel like the country history is passing on through me like this will be a new song and it'll be all the artists I've heard interpreted so I'm looking forward to it it's a little more along the lines of eventually like if you put eventually and sweet dreams together it's maybe more in that line interesting but it's not a new song interestingly I mean it's uh, you know, it was a song that was presented to me and and uh, I'm glad he did, Zach, thank you. And um, I just, we're hoping to get it released and out there. We just had a little setback with the tornado and and uh, starting from scratch, I guess. <laughs> You've mentioned a couple of times the song Santa Baby. Yes. What do you think it is about that song that that has created so much attention? From my side or from the marketing side of, you know, just what it took for it to be that successful? Or do you mean from why I sang it? Both. Okay. Well, I grew up making commercials, and no mistake, and singing jingles, so... The Coke commercial influenced me, and as I got older, I had had always the same dreams and, like most people, aspirations that drove me. And in 97, I cashed in my IRAs, and I felt it was important to invest in people rather than the stock market. And I started really investing in other people's projects and really pushing the idea of uh, microeconomics. I know this is going to sound silly. So the launch, the the original recording of Santa Baby was obviously recorded for somebody, and as was the second song, Someone to Watch Over Me. And then I pulled a song that I had sung before that was Britpop, that's phenomenal, called Just. And I put them together in a Christmas card that Martha Stewart would have been very pleased over from a stationary store that I walked into and Studio City was making these beautiful envelopes, olive kind of parchment paper with gothic writing inside. And I put this burgundy liner and I put the CDs of gold and I gave it to a lot of the directors that I auditioned for and knew like Wrigley Scott and, and then commercial dirt. Yeah. And then obviously love in my life. And it just kind of was the beginning of launching around Hollywood. And then the second year, that was 97, and I sang it because Eartha Kitt used to sing it, so I went to the DJ that used to play it, and he gave me a taping of it, and I put it on my answering machine, and I kind of have half her voice and half my voice, 
And I felt, I don't want to wait for some day to say, oh, when I'm famous, I'm going to do this. I just felt like everything in my life, just do it. Just do it, move on to the next thing. Just do it, move on to the next thing. Maybe I'll only do it 80%. You know, Frank Sinatra honed his skills and the cat skills, I believe. A lot of artists had ways of expressing themselves. So I didn't put that big pressure on Santa Baby. It was a $300 song recorded in a private studio in the Valley, a little, like said, it was on a uh, MIDI track that he created, Matt Chamberlain, and uh, he created the whole thing. I put my vocals on it. I wasn't thinking of Marilyn. Marilyn had nothing to do with it. It was just a gift uh, while the person I sang it to got more Oscars than anything else. So it gave me a focus point and I recorded it and then I did put it out the next year in CD format. And then you started seeing it show up in TV shows and, uh, Ally McBeal. And then at 99, when I launched it publicly on the internet, the idea was to show people that there was a mathematical equation to having control over your career. And that I was able to put my song that was, on a CD. So anyway, basically I was able to convert it to an MP3 format. Thanks to a piano player that son put him on uh, mp3.com at the time at the millennium. I put it on there. I became, I don't know, the 53rd artist on the internet and overnight it just grew exponentially because it was riding the wave of, Kind of like now, you know, the Y2K, everyone was home. There was kind of mass hysteria about the future. I felt that it was important that all the world start connecting and talking that, you know, Gandhi had a quote, we're all in this together. And I felt that there was a huge disconnect between what was going on in our country and what's going on in the rest of the world. So when I launched Santa Baby, it just became popular because it was riding a technological wave, the image and burn Reed in Canada discovered it and taught me everything I needed to know about the internet and coding. So constant repetition of the hashtag, the images that went with it, everything was going great and swimmingly. And then Napster and Limeware came along and not only, you know, stripped all the music, they named it Marilyn Monroe. So for about 12 years, all my income and time went to creating videos and whatnot to combat all the product that Marilyn Monroe was creating when what killed her, I survived with a teenage son in tow and am still surviving. So the idea that a modern day vocalist's complete identity can be stripped and someone who suffered so much be further immortalized has probably given Santa Baby a lot more legs. I'm certain singing it to Jack Nicholson didn't hurt any. And I think the ongoing media separation between reality and creative arts and pop culture is what's made Santa Baby even more a folklore song because nobody sings songs for a reason and with a story behind them. It's like, I mean, I'm sorry, there's millions of artists. I'm, I didn't mean it like that. I meant that have achieved that kind of, we've just been a different way of producing music for a while. And that song comes from the heart.
And I think it allows people their own interpretation of it. I didn't sing it as a gold digger song. I sang it because I feel that as women, we contribute so much to intellectual property, to daily dialogue, to the profit men make (laughs) that, you know, why not hit a sister back, your mom, your sister, your wife, your girlfriend, you know, we're part of the financial equation when men make money. So that's kind of was also the tongue in cheek behind Santa baby was more a feminist song than it getting interpreted as a gold bigger song because I really idolized Eartha Kitt and what she did with her life and the stance she made. And I, I always followed her and a lot of artists' life. So I never took that song. I never sang it publicly, you know, um, as part of my genre, except for once in private until Eartha Kitt passed. I didn't really... Um, I just really believed in what she did. That's why I went to see refugees. So I think a lot is attached to that song. I was nominated for a shared Nobel Peace Prize because of understanding, you know, this ability to link us all with a code, with a hashtag, you know, what Twitter is based on. These were ideas that I had stored since working in Silicon Valley as a young woman. So I think it's just become... You know, every, now with Instagram, you know, I was in red vinyl. So then that image and there's some other images of me, they just get copied. You know, one image copies another, copies another. So it, it just goes like a fire. But I'm certain when Universal Studios has Marilyn Monroe, people singing Santa Baby every Christmas and whatnot, and Disney sending in people to sing Santa Baby every Christmas, it it helps keep the Marilyn Monroe mystique going and it kind of drowns out some of the other songs and artists that I've recorded and it's kind of limited the fact that I haven't gotten to sing a lot of living artists song like I would like to sing more you know songwriter you know contemporary people that are living and support them so I'm glad Arthur Hamilton woohoo I hope you appreciate it I think I recorded that Priming River in 2010, so I hope that's helped. I know a lot of people have sung his song, and it's so great, and he's sung so ma- written so many other songs, so I don't mean to drown out his other accolades. So, I don't, you know, Santa Baby is just, it was dead in the water when Michael Mann from the radio station gave it to me. He was like, what do you want with this song? And, um... Like, you know, lyrics are, you know, it was like, whatever. It was a great song then. And I think it gives people joy and they have their own interpretation. And, and the idea was to give a song that was silly. You know, at the millennium, I had to find a song I could get a license for and people could all sing to and, and find silly too. At the same time, I didn't think of it as quite as sexy as people have sultry as it's gotten interpret you know thought of as by hearing it it wasn't it was meant to be more fun it was recorded in fun with love with my ira and my residuals (laughs) (laughs) but you've never contacted you you haven't met the writer of that song bill springer yes i've met him what's he like he's still 
Uh, Bill Springer? Mm-hmm. Well, do you mean, did he pinch me? Or do you mean, is he still writing more music? No, no, just... Because what did you What did you mean by did he pinch me? <laughs> well, was he a, was he a flirt or was he like did I mean per, on a personal level or do I mean do I, has he put out more music because you know he's still contributing as far as I know his daughter Tamir Publishing she handles the publishing of his music they still hold it and he used to live half the year and the Waldorf and half the year in Pacific Palisades. And I thought that's a pretty nice life. Not bad. And he put on a very interesting uh, performance. If I remember correctly, it was about Notre Dame. I'm like, God, this is, he wrote all the music and I seem, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have the best recollection, but I seem to remember coming to see uh, this, this um, performance that he put together. So he's, He's very active. The LA Times interviewed him a couple of years ago. I don't think he realizes how much money that hand-typed permission slip he gave me to release his song has generated for him (laughs) and why the mystique of the song has remained and why so many artists have re-recorded it. It would be nice if, if he knew, but He's, um, it's, you know, every, everyone's a different, he's a genre, he's a particular genre writers and I'm pleased that he has that much success and he's alive to enjoy it. And his family, I, I, God bless him, man. Hmm. I think, um, I think he did a great mitzvah. I mean, I don't, I don't, the fact that Eartha Kid had that song for so long and Eartha, Eartha Kid did with it and her daughter and. I just think to be able to achieve that, and I I thought he was a very nice man. I'm just amazed that it inspires me that you can keep going, and I hope that inspires other people. Like, you can keep going. You can keep reinventing. You can, yeah, that's what inspired me about meeting him, and that was 20 years ago, (laughs) probably. Did I answer the question? Absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to know what kind of personality he had, but I'm glad to hear that that he's a nice man. I, I think so. I mean, he was nice to me. I mean, and he was very proud of what he's produced. I mean, that's pretty typical. You know, men, if they've achieved any sense of notoriety and fame, they're they're usually pretty proud of themselves, and rightly so, and... You know, I, I wasn't in any studios. I don't know, but he, I'm, I'm certainly glad that I've gotten to sing this song. And like I said, it's so detached from me. I, I don't even look at it like it's mine or me, but it does, um, thank everybody. Hi, my name's Cynthia Bassanet. I sing Santa baby for 20 years probably has helped his sales. (laughs) Certainly no doubt. Cynthia, what do you think is the best way to live life? Boy, that's when you know you're old, when they ask you that. The best way to live life, and I know my son doesn't agree, and I know my best friend will say, you got this from me, is to follow your heart. Just to follow your heart. Everything else isn't guaranteed. 
and I don't know. I think follow your heart. It just all uh, money in the world, everything, all you know. I've seen all sides, from refugee camps to billionaire, billionaire, billionaires, both by billionaires, all the levels in between, and the moments that are the best are those waves you get every, like a few a year and it's almost like stand, time stands still and we spend the rest of the year trying to have those days again instead of just accepting oh this is one of those magical days when you're like on the 405 and you hit the freeway at a certain speed and the car is almost there's a little bit of a, a down it just not floats it's just um when you're in the zone, okay, that's it. Being in the zone, there you go. Just, you know, when you're walking across the street, you feel a crowd pushing you, you don't have to go with them. You can just, you know, feel your zone. That's what I feel with the music. That's what I try to create in the dance song, in every little thing. I hope people, not in a bad way, use that gift but in a good way that that's why we're here. I don't think we're here for what's going on right now, but maybe it's helping draw attention and it's never about the actual event, but what it forces one to process. So maybe we realize we've created a culture that's cultivated and rewarded to create what we've got now instead of, accepting who you are, what you got, why you're here, and use those to fulfill your own happiness. And I think it radiates from there. I, I, I think my friends are pretty happy, and I'd like to see the same joy for my son, and I'd like to see the same joy for the young kids that are experiencing this for the first time, that will get through this, and I've had to live indoors for nearly 20 years. We'll get through it. You're going to, you're still producing. Even if you think you're not working, you still are. And some of the great innovations come out of these, these both quiet times if you're laid off and also busy times if you're going caretaking or you're in on the front lines. I think that's what we're here to go through and to open our hearts. So, I, yeah. Well, on the note of our hearts, how do you define love? What is your definition of love? I, well, that you're, that all the blood in your body rushes to your heart and speaks a truth for you. So you're not spending it analyzing, judging, interpreting how you can get the better of that other person. Of course you can get the better of the other person. I mean, duh, we, you know, <laughs> look at advertising, you know, look at hashtags. We've figured out a way to program people, but, and that's why I'm not really fond of jugging children. I think that our hearts and how you process all the stimuli that's around us all the time. If it's your heart that, processes it, whether that's why they say women have more heart issues is because we suffer more heartbreak. That's why I think we deserve a little more protection. I have to swim with the sharks. 
but I think love is just continual creation. Like when you see something, you want to see it better. You want to see it grow. You want to see it have more profit. You want to see it done in a more eco-friendly way. All that to me is love. When you see a child and there's in two seconds, you register that that child needs a smile. That child's asking of you, is things going to be okay? They don't have to be your child. These are scary times, you know. I donated next door the DVDs that somebody else donated, cleaned them, and saw they were being donated and gave them to the little girl to see Looney Tunes. I mean, we're all in this together, then we need to practice it. We need to do it from the heart. That's love. That's that's why I love Christmas. It's And singing Santa Baby, <laughs> it's... It's love. It's not, it wasn't meant as commercialism. It was meant as love. Like hit a sister back, you know, if, if financially, cause then they can do things. It, it's love. I, it's, it's when you see a butterfly fly through the air and the light hits it. That's love. Whoever, you know, however that got created, I'm going to sound really goofy and this should be a Sunday morning conversation and not Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> But I hope people feel it in my songs. I've, that's what, I hope it opens people's heart chakras. That's, that's my little request. Since everybody wants to steal music now, (laughs) the minimal request I can ask to go back in the glass jar is a little empathy and kindness to others and the rest will take care of itself. We won't put as much focus on what's fake because our hearts will know. And there's, maybe I'll leave you on this, but they said that when a person does a good deed, they feel 50% better. When the person receives the good deed, they feel 50% better. But the person witnessing the good deed feels 100% better. (laughs) And I think that's love. Because it multiplies. Well spoken. Well, it's somebody else quote <laughs> <laughs> but I, I you said you said i'm going to sound goofy i don't think you sound goofy at all thank you what is the best thing about being cynthia bassinet i don't know because i feel like i work for her <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i want to i've been through so much that i would like to be able to share that more. That would, if somebody could say what would bring you joy, okay, and a little more bling bling in the bank. But I wish that the things that I've learned, like the refugees, the Sahrawian refugees, their camps are divided. They're very forward-thinking, forward-thinking. And I think what breaks my heart is the fact that all this misnomer and what I wear and how my hair was yesterday just detracts and diverts from solutions like this that could help us, that they've been practicing for 30 and 40 years, things that we can learn from indigenous, displaced. There's so many things that we don't hear about because we're so conditioned to hear the same handful of people, see the same handful of people, albeit off my stuff. So in that aspect, it's made for a very odd twist of fate, and I no longer see, I don't, I'm just a chef, man. (laughs) I don't, I'm kind of removed from a name, if I could say. 
Hmm. Like I said, I feel like I just work for her. You know, um, keep the employees, write the press releases, design the albums, hire people, put the songs together, choose the songs, what I wear, who I, just all that is the person that works for her, I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Very interesting. All my therapists for the last 30 years are going to call me up going, what good was I? I heard your interview. I didn't help at all. Yes, you did. I'm still standing. I want to get through this to the other side. You know, that's all. I I hope one person that's a single mom or somebody rises up and goes, wow, I we just we've missed that for a while. And. That's all I can hope that Cynthia Bassanet means is kind of to what it took to create those songs and why they mean so much. And maybe look at the history behind because the people in my life have created, they've created Cynthia Bassanet. It's, it's not just me. It's all the other people that have poured their dreams into me and their fears. <laughs> That's what I'd say. I'm a compilation. That's what I am. I'm a compilation. (laughs) All the listeners out there, if they want to find out some more information, they can go to CynthiaBassanet.com. That's C-Y-N-T-H-I-A-B-A-S-I-N-E-T.com. Thank you very much for spending time with me. This is so lovely. It was Well, it's spring. Go out there and plant your seeds in the ground or in others. And uh, we'll get through this. Stay safe. I'm I'm so glad we were able to do this. I'm, I'm very honored. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. Until next time. Until next time. Zip, bip. Bibbidi bop boobity zing dang bon chichi cuddly zing ba bang doo coochie atsikili matsuko oh you should get gone go gone go go easing on the glen dang bon tight it'll let a good plant and do and dabba dee good do goodbye